AJ Preller. Do if he was here right now. He'd make a plan and he'd follow through. That's what Pre- AJ Preller. AJ Preller. Was in the Olympics skating for the gold. He did two sound cows and a triple lunch while wearing a blindfold. AJ Preller. Was in the Alps fighting grizzly bears. He used his magical fire breath and saved the maiden's bed. AJ Preller. If he were here today, I'm sure he'd kick an ass or two. AJ Preller. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, live from Marver Manor with HJ Preller. This is my first trip out to Marver Manor. It's yeah. been it's been great. Survived great. the methane? You know, I'm feeling a little lightheaded, to be honest. The windows are open. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> uh, you know, I did notice the temperature rising um, quite a bit on the way here. And uh, I don't think I realize this because now that I've seen exactly where Marver Manor is in uh, San Alejo Hills... We've talked about the methane. We've talked about that your house is literally built on a landfill. Um, but I don't know if you realize this, but uh, when I was a child, there is, was actually a house up here, an abandoned house on this mountain behind you. Okay. Uh, the one with the antennas on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we used to call it the Nazi house. The Nazi? Interesting. Yeah, it was an abandoned house, and kids would just hike up this trail to go up to it because... I don't know if you also know, but there's also a waterfall across the street, on across yeah. Rancho Santa Fe. Um, it's a... Oh, I forget the name of it. But so kids would be over here, right? Because this was all open, open area. And there was a house with a bunch of swastikas uh, spray painted all over it, and uh, a bunch of anti-Semitic remarks spray painted all over it. So that's actually where you're living. You're living near the Nazi house. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'd be glad to know that uh, a Jew bought a house in the neighborhood. <laughs> very, and, uh, very <laughs> pleased. Yeah, very far downhill for that that homeowner. I guess in a way that yeah, that's the <laughs> ultimate revenge on yeah. the Nazi house. There you go. <laughs> I've uh, I've moved in and yeah, breeding more Jews here. So there we go. <laughs> this is their worst nightmare. Yeah, worst nightmare. Um, that's a that's a nice tidbit. Yeah, I I've talked before about how like this area did not exist when I was in high school. At or all. This this house was built when I was a senior in high school. So like, and this was the first housing development in San Alejo. So, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting when I moved home and I started looking for houses and I'm driving through this area and I was like, well, this is. Where did it this come It felt really from, weird, right? yeah. But because um, this was just there. a cut it's, through it's nice. to Harmony Grove before. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's still I forgot about the cult. You also live near a, a murderous blood cult. That, uh, I'm pretty sure they're not here anymore. They're here still. I don't think they are. No, 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 no. no. You're wrong. If you drive down that road, uh, Quest Haven, there is a guard at the end of it, and there is a murderous blood cult at the end of that road. Interesting. Well, uh, yeah, I won't. I I will say this. I don't drive on Quest Haven. I don't even go into Elfin Forest. Well, that's okay. So. Their spirit is still coming over here. You're still that's fair. I, I don't. I think anywhere you live, you're you're kind of fucked when it comes to cults. Well, yeah, cults it's and weird. Bad people. Actually, I don't think I live near a murderous blood cult. To be honest, mm, I, you know, I'm gonna do some research. Get, look at the predators in your area, and I'll I'll get back to you on the next podcast on that point. But hey, you were out of the country for a while. You're back. The Padres are now 14 and 11, uh, starting a long series here in Washington against. Arguably the uh, the three hardest pitchers we faced all year in a row, I believe. Um, well, yeah. not including Luis Castillo. Corbin's not pitching. No, actually, we're facing Scherzer and Strasburg in the first two. I think Hellickson's actually game three, so misspoke there. Two, but still, it's going to be a, a nice barometer for how well the Padres are playing. Uh, what are your impressions since we last podcasted? I think it's it's been a real roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when I left the country, they were literally eleven and five. Uh, the day I left started their six game losing streak. Okay. Um, and don't get me wrong, the six game losing streak was was terrible, awful. Yeah. And, and if we're being honest, the eleven and f- the reasons for the the six the own six losing streak are kind of the 
it's kind of the same team that won, went 11 and 5, right? Like mm-hmm. they didn't score that many runs off the Giants. They, they did beat them because the Giants are just so awful and dreadful. But like they weren't scoring a ton even when things were good. And so you can say that there is a common common strand here of poor offense. Uh, yeah. We're not really sure. I mean, we can probably it, discuss what the reasons are. But. I mean, is it poor offense or is it unlucky offense? I mean, if you look at – I mean, there are some things where I look at them like that's poor offense. Like the strikeout rate across the board is pretty unacceptable. When you look at the number of walks guys are drawing, with the exception of Machado, Hosmer, and Kinsler, it's been pretty pitiful from a getting on base via free pass perspective. But the batter ball data supports that they should be hitting much better than they are. Do you think that's bad luck? Do you think it's teams, you know, positioning themselves well? What do you think it is? There's probably some bad luck, right? Hosmer has like a what all-time high hard hit rate yeah. that he has. Um, but Fran the, Mill the, obviously has been killing it, and the average. And depending on how you look at it, then, then yeah. yeah, there's some unlucky. Yeah, yeah. Fran Mill for sure has yeah. been seemingly unlucky. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously mitigate. We've talked about this before, but like Hosmer is kind of a special case where. He may be hitting it hard, but if you're hitting it hard on the ground, it's not... And you're being shifted against because mm-hmm. you're very shift-prone. Like, it doesn't... You're hurt. You're still hurt by that. Yeah. Um, let's be honest. There's a lot of holes in the lineup, right? I mean, through yeah. that early going, Kinsler was hitting leadoff. Like, they had literally their worst hitter hitting in well, one of the most important positions in the lineup. I'd say third worst, right? Pitcher, Hedges, then... Than Kinsler probably. is Hedges worse? Hedges I think you could argue that Hedges is better than Kinsler. Maybe from an overall value. I know. You, I know. You, I know. You keep you keep throwing the straw man out of. Well, he's very valuable. He's good at defense. You, you, totally ignoring that. What we're discussing is his bat, not his. Defense. No, 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 no. I'm saying is, Hedges' bat might be overall more valuable than Kinsler. But when you're constructing a lineup, you don't want someone with a 270 on base percentage hitting leadoff, right? Well, no one's putting Hedges. No, in no, no. I'm just saying it would be worse if you had Hedges leadoff than Kinsler. Is if the argument I'm making there. I guess what's what's Kinsler's OBP? Oh, it's not good. I it's mean, it's worse. It's, it's, it's worse, worse now, but it's not like predictably worse, right? Like, like based I like on how the we're batted... pretending that a thirty-six-year-old is not in decline. That, no, no, that, no, no, no. And and, and and what I keep reading, and this will be a common thread because I happen to listen to the terrible Kevin ECJ Posner podcast from Tuesday that's been lighting Twitter on fire today, but. Uh, Posner makes the defense of, well, Kinsler is a guy who's got you know thirteen years of All Star caliber play, and like we keep we keep looking back at at twenty twelve and saying Ian Kinsler's that guy still mm-hmm. when he's thirty six now he's not that guy anymore. Like this is the same talk that led to, um, let's just throw twenty eleven, which was a dark day in in Padres history, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember who was playing first base and third base for the twenty eleven Padres? So after we dealt Adrian Gonzalez, was that uh, our um, Brad Hopp and Jesus Guzman season? Oh, don't forget Jorge Cantu. Jorge Cantu, yeah, the second base. And, and the so the, sto- the third base, third base. Jorge Cantu was playing third. Okay. Um, and the story there was like, well, if you just look back a couple years, those guys were really great, all-star caliber players. And, and the thing is, all of a sudden, sometimes it disappears. And yeah. to be honest, it disappeared for Kinsler last year. Yeah, but I he would, was terrible at the plate last year and the year before. Actually, there was definitely some decline. But I still think you look at when you look at some of his stats, his strikeout rate, his walk rate. I mean, those are still among the best on our roster. So, hey, what about his other rates that you're not talking about? His hard hit sure. rate, his line drive rate, of, of his course, and that's why he's velocity. and that's why he's a bottom of the line hitter. I just don't think it's quite as doomsday with him. I still see um, an excellent defending second baseman who has some plate discipline skills that, and honestly. That makes him one of our best second basemen over the past half decade to decade. 
which is a terrible statement, but compare that to Carlos Asuaje. Asuaje was to, better. Compare that, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Well, that to, the de- you're counting the defense. Right. As an overall player, compare that to Ryan Schimpf. Right. Who, well, Schimpf was better. Well, for total like, value, for like Schimpf a, was better. No, for like two months, and then the next season he was the worst defending second baseman and hit like 180 and lost most of his power. Right. But we can just go spring? over all the second basemen they've they've tried over the years. I think Kinsler, you can do a lot worse. So the the hate on him, I think, is not necessarily because um, because of him. I think if he got off to a better start, you know. If he was just hitting what he did last year to start the year, we'd be like, well, it's not great, but it's not terrible. I think it's actually more that he's just blocking Urias is the the bigger Well, the it's bigger kind of concern. like the whole Perella thing, right? And I've said this, and I'm guessing you would agree. Like, mm-hmm. as much as we want to bash Jose Perella, it's not really Perella that we're, we should be upset at. It's Andy Green constantly putting him in a position where the team has to depend on Perella's performance yeah. right yeah, yeah like absolutely. the whole issue last year isn't that Perellis wasn't great it was that he got 500 plus at bats right yeah i would say it's a bit of both it's that and, um, and, and not only that but that green continually put Perella into a top of the lineup position yeah i mean it's not even it's not even that he was playing second base and taking time away from urias which was a bummer it's that he was also playing left field and taking time away from fran reyes from franchi cordero from hunter renfro but and, I, getting, but, and getting 500 at bats in the middle of the lineup when he was obviously not a good baseball but player. But I don't blame Perella for that. I mean, no, no, you no blame, of course not. You, sometimes you blame Perella for that. But, like, that's Andy. That's yeah. the manager mm-hmm. who put him in that position to fail. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that's the situation we're in with, with Kinsler. Like, I, I don't hate Ian Kinsler. He's, he, like we said when he first signed, he's fine as a bench guy that you fall back on that's a little versatile and can do be late, a late inning defensive replacement. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic he's a fantastic bench slash utility option. Oh, but you don't yeah. put him in leadoff. No. And and starting him every day at the expense of, of someone else is questionable. Yeah. And I keep seeing I heard AC say it today on this podcast that uh in Postner that uh you know it's just Andy picking the player that he thinks is best to to win games for this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, like, I'm, not, I'm it, not sure that's the case either, but I'm not as doomsday on it as I was. For example, if he was playing, if he was doing the same thing he's doing with Kinsler but with Perella, there would be no argument in Andy Green's favor. I do think the fact that Kinsler's been a reliable, even last year with his terrible offense, to win above replacement level player. Purely glove. Purely glove, but still. That very bad bat. Like, can we admit that? He was very bad at the plate. Absolutely, but we take that same excuse and we're like, oh, Austin Hedges, fantastic defense. Terrible bat. Dude, Hedges, Hedges yeah, bat. But, honestly, Hedges bat is worse than Kinsler's. But where does defense matter more? Second base or catcher? Of course it matters more catcher. Of but course. I'm just saying from a comparative perspective, they're not all that different from how they affect the team on the year. The, but we've talked about this before. The team this you season. can have holes in the lineup mm-hmm. if they bring value in other places, but you can't have you can't have five holes in the lineup or four holes in the lineup, right? And so right now the Padres are asking for holes at essentially what? First base, second base catcher, uh, pitcher. So that's four out of the nine positions where we're not getting production out of the lineup, and that's that's a problem. Like, especially when you've got um, Hedges and Kinsler being so, so awful. So awful at the plate. Yeah, I would say that... You, you can know, have I'm one. Not, I'm not right? quite, yeah, yeah, I'm not quite so worried at first base, and I think second base will work itself out. Either, either Kinsler starts playing really poorly, and they call up Urias, and that's just that. Um, but in the mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, to your point, um, and, and one thing you mentioned was the pitchers hitting, like that's something we haven't really discussed this year. I tweeted about it, but the Padres hit pitchers as a unit hitting 
pitchers are obviously bad hitters, but the Padres collection of pitchers are so bad at hitting. If you look at their, um, like they have like three or four hits this year out of like 40-something plate appearances. Um, and that's not that. It's only a couple hits worse, but like very minimal extra base hits, no walks, and they strike out at a rate that is like twice league average at pitchers. So that's, you know. I don't know the answer to this question, but like how much does that affect the, the production of the team? I mean, I would, you know, the, the what's thing, the difference between pitchers hitting point zero ninety and one fifty? Yeah, so I would say there's two points. One, it means that you should pinch hit for your pitchers more frequently, and I think we've seen that for the most part. That's there's only been maybe one or two instances where I didn't like the fact that Andy Green didn't pinch hit, and one of them, to Green's credit, Strom threw eight innings in. Now, granted, they went to extra innings and could have used that scoring opportunity, but you know, there's at least some. It's not like it was all negative in those instances. But the thing that really gets me with the pitchers hitting this poorly is the fact that they have Tatis leading off, which means that not only does he start the game with no one on base, and let's let's be honest with what Tatis is. Obviously, he looks like a superstar, but his bat is more power than it is on base skills. Granted, he's been bunting great, and he's been drawing more walks than I think we expected, but I don't think any of us expect him to be a 380 on base percentage guy right now. Um, I would much rather have him hit second through fourth. Even you know hitting him clean up behind Machado would be great because he's going to get more opportunities with guys on. He's going to drive them in. But he's starting the game with no one on. And then he's hitting after pitchers, which means there's times where he's leading off the inning with no one on. Or he's only getting like a maybe like a two-out opportunity with a runner in scoring position. It's not – we're certainly reducing the number of chances Tatis has to drive guys in, which is a bummer. And, and that's kind of why um, – and, and I guess that's leading a little bit more to uh, why, you know – Part of my complaints on Andy Green are line of construction at this point. And I hate focusing on line of construction because ultimately it's not like a major driver of runs, but it just doesn't make too much sense to have someone at the top of the lineup who specializes in slugging percentage versus on base percentage. I would much rather have Hosmer there or have someone who's, um, you know, a little more adept at drawing walks. And maybe that's why I'm not so so mad at having Kinsler at the top of the lineup because it's, it's an NL lineup, right? You'll get Kinsler more at bats that way, but... But this is also let's why talk, it's so hey, frustrating. Let's talk, let's talk about this. It's, it's also so frustrating, though, that Urias isn't getting playing time because he seems like the obvious person to have at the top of the lineup, right? Someone who we don't expect to have a lot of power, but on base skills. Who's well, let's let's separate the discussion of Luis Urias out of this because I think that's its own discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard a lot of the defense of Andy Green in the last, and this was obviously all spurred on by uh, our pal John Gennaro, mm-hmm. who uh, who wrote a fire Andy Green post. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard spirited defenses of Andy Green from all of those people who depend on the Padres for media credentials. They're very pro-Andy Green. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those arguments are based on, I would call them, straw men. It's like, uh, well, Andy Green's never had a good team to, to good enough team to win, right? We can't judge him on his record, yeah. right? Or, uh, uh, you know, the Red Sox changed, changed their lineups all the time last year. But like the... These are all arguments that none of us are bringing up. Like, I, I don't think there's a problem in changing the lineup every day. There's a problem with throwing out an unoptimized lineup. Yeah. With your weakest players at the top of the lineup receiving the most at-bats, there is an issue with... Uh, you, we could probably discuss issues with, like, management of the bullpen or management of the starters. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I think what it comes down to is managers affect a little bit. We've mm-hmm. talked about this. Yeah. But... At the very least, we should expect managers not to screw it up. Yeah, just to do, just to do what doesn't hurt the team. Yeah, and the defensive Andy is also like, well, the GM just passes him a lineup, which a we have no, we have 
shockingly, our media has not asked him the question of whether he sets the lineup or whether the GM sets the lineup, which would be a very easy answer in defense of Andy Green. But, of course, no one has the courage to ask him that. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that maybe if it's the computers that the computers have an issue here? <laughs> like if the GMs are passing down a lineup with Ian Kinsler or Jose Perella at leadoff, that that's uh, – yeah, there's some issue somewhere in the organization if that's the result for an optimized lineup. Yeah, but I think – I don't even know if that's like really what's happening because I think what we – or at least what I read from some Twitter people who had the courage to listen to the Jay Posner – Kevin AC podcast today was that uh, it seems like Andy Green actually is the one setting the lineup, right? Because from what I, got that, from, what I, I got gle- from what I gleaned from there, uh, Preller called up Urias. Green may not have been consulted on that and still wanted to play Kinsler, and so then that would obviously lead to the conclusion that Green does certainly have some uh, level of effect on how the lineup is set. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say that it's. You know, again, the manager, it's, it's hard to tell what the manager really does, right? There's this clubhouse chemistry bit that we hear about um, that, you know, I, I don't necessarily buy that the manager can do too much on that front besides fuck it up. Well, isn't that like, why I we think, invested tens of millions of dollars in clubhouse guys to manage the clubhouse? That's like, that's true. And so I tend to focus on the things that we can quantify. Like if Andy Green, you know, leaves a pitcher in to hit with a runner in scoring position in a close game – you know, we know how that can potentially affect the you know the win probability, and those are the th- sort of things that I look for. Um, and I would say, you know, he's not good at that. I would say that he's maybe average for an MLB manager. And I'm only saying that because we've been subjected to some really, really poor managerial decisions in the past by Bud Black. Um, and so he's better than Bud Black, but I still see like, you know, maybe on a nightly basis, one or two things that I would I would do differently. The main thing right now is just I would not be leading off Tatis. I think you're really taking the bat or run driving opportunities away from arguably one of your best players. So I would I would prefer to see him hitting even two would be fine. It would just give him, you know, it means that if the leadoff gets on, you know, at, at a three forty on base percentage or three twenty even, that his first plate appearance has a thirty percent chance of having a guy on as opposed to a zero when he leads off the game. Those are the sort of small things that I would I would look towards. Um, what does Andy do well? You know I've asked this I question think he, before. Yeah, no, and, and from a strategic perspective, I'm not sure there's that many things that he does all that well. I would used to say that he doesn't do the lay-down Sunday game where, you know, all these managers do this thing where on Sunday day games, they roll out this lineup of bench scrubs to wrench he, their players. He did this all year last year. He's done this for three years. Yeah, I, I would just say that when I check lineups, I feel like he does it maybe slightly less frequently than other managers. I wish he did it none of the time. Especially, you know, there was a game earlier this year that started the six-game losing streak, by the way, where he benched Machado in before a day off and before a week where they had two days off in a span of, like, eight, eight days. Um, you know, those are the other sort of things that, that I look at. I, I don't necessarily know what he does, does well. He, he seems does to he challenge. Do. He seems to do okay with his challenges. Like, I can't really think of a time where he passed up a really good opportunity, at least this year. I don't know this for... 100%, but I thought I'd seen over the last three years that he had one of the worst challenge success rates. Yeah, but it's not, it's not about he's had, success. He's also had some of the worst shifts in baseball. It's not about challenge success rate. It's about the value of the challenge in addition to the success rate. Right? If you have a 20% chance of getting it overturned, but it would be momentous towards the win probability, that obviously has to be treated differently. And my intuition, and again, it's just my intuition, I haven't done the math, is that he's at least okay at that. But it's, also, not, it's not an area also, that I can If you have a poor yet. success rate at challenges, you're also burning opportunities to with, use with challenges. poor challenges yeah, yeah. 
when you may need it later in the game for real challenges. Like, sure. Like that's not something to be ignored is, sure. is, a, is one of the worst challenge rates in baseball. Sure. I also think that uh, effectiveness of shifts, which was supposed to be his strength when he first came here, like that's what the media was talking about. Mm-hmm. His effectiveness of shifts has been one of the worst in baseball through the years as well, to the point that he now uh, plays the some of the least shifts in baseball, which is kind yeah, of taking strategy out of the hands of your team. Yeah, they've really gone kind of nuts on either end of the spectrum on that. They really... And I don't you think know, there's data that says that shifts are less effective now. But like, like shifts are being deployed by other more successful teams at a, at the same or higher rate as they used to. Yeah, I would say. Um, and I get know, it. Like, if you're so shifts. bad, Obviously, if you're so bad at shifts that you're one of the worst in the league, I get it. Then you should shift less. Yeah, there are, but that's a problem with the with the management team. There's there's just multiple effects that go into shift. Obviously, if you shift, it changes the like the way that the opposing batter should hit, and. You know, understanding how every opposing batter changes the way they hit based on a shift is an important second level effect that you need to calculate and put into your shifts. It seems like the Padres maybe overshifted in the past and didn't consider those things, or maybe their analysts weren't good enough at analyzing the date. You know, the data that could be another issue as well. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to really know. Another another aspect of it is, yeah, this might be how the player has done in a hundred batted balls, but that not, might not be actually indicative of their overall, you know, um, trends on how they're actually going to hit. So if you're doing it, if you're shifting based on not enough data, then obviously it's suboptimal, right? It has to be something that's that's well thought out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you, you know, the Potters, I feel like, like, have done an okay job against the shift this year, but I only say that because they've bunted a bunch on deep third baseman. I don't know if that's Andy Green or if that's the players doing it themselves um, with, you know, a green light from Andy Green. I don't know. I just... I just still look at it as, look, he's better than Bud Black. That's an extremely low barrier. So at this point, although I am complaining about Andy Green, particularly on the Urias front, I know we wanted to set that aside. But, um, well, I will say, know, that's like and, and Tatis leading off. Those are the really two critical areas I've seen. I mean, on the fire Andy Green front, I, I don't actually think they should fire him today. <laughs> like, I, I think no, I don't think there's anything. I, I, I think that's something you look at around the June, July, same as when they fired Bud Black. But uh, there's also some value in it in that you can evaluate. In that you can evaluate. Um, um, sorry, I got distracted for a second. Uh, you, you get a chance to evaluate Rod Barajas, right? Because when they fired Bud Black, it wasn't just that they fired Bud Black; it was that they had a chance to evaluate Pat Murphy. And in this case, they realized Pat Murphy is not a guy that we need to hand this yeah. team over to, and that allowed them to do a full manager search where they found Andy Green, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is value in in having a three month laboratory in evaluating what Rod Barajas brings to the team and how the clubhouse responds to him. Yeah, I was. Otherwise, we go into the off season and we're like, well, is it a manager in waiting, or like, do we do a full manager search and like? with no data to support that search in the most critical time in the franchise's history to have the right leader at, at, you know, managing the team. Yeah. I mean, and at some level I can empathize with Andy Green playing Ian Kinsler over, over Urias. If that's how he really actually feels about uh, who's better, like his job should be, I mean, there is, there is a big picture thing that I look, used to look at in the past seasons when we were obviously going to be bad, where it was about developing players and understanding what you have. This year, there is a bit of it that is, hey, this team could actually make a run to the postseason. It's not that crazy, uh, you know, especially when some of these minor league arms like Mackenzie Gore is just absolutely blowing away. It's not, it's not hard to see a scenario where he's up in, in July and, and helping out the team or August. 
Um, so I, I, I can empathize a little bit with playing Kinsler early in the season. The thing that will really drive me nuts is if if we come to, you know, the, the trade deadline and the team's, you know, maybe five games out of a wild card spot, but they're chasing three or four teams, and it really doesn't look like they have an opportunity. I mean, that's when they really need to – Andy Green really needs to be playing Mejia and Urias more in that scenario and getting a good read of what they have. Like, so uh, I'm not going to harp on it, you know, too much at this point, but um, – yeah, and to your point, I don't think there's much to gain at this point by firing him. Like, I, I just... You know, I mean, don't I, get it, me wrong. I think he should be fired eventually. I, I don't think he's the guy for the for the next great Padres team. I but agree with that. I just don't think now in April is the right time to do that. Yeah, I don't think there's very much evidence to support that he would be good in the sort of advanced ways that would optimize team winning, right? And part of that is, you know, the Tatis hitting first, which just seems like an obvious strategic error. At least to me, and maybe you know, maybe they they have different math that supports it. Otherwise, but I just see one of the best hitters on the team automatically not having an opportunity to start the game with a runner on, which to me seems less palatable than having him hit second or even cleanup I mean, mm-hmm. anywhere towards you know the middle of the heart of the lineup. I think is where it deserves to be. So um, we put off we put off Urias. Er, yeah, sorry, Urias. 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 Yes. Um, so he got sent down. That was the latest crisis on Padres Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Is the uh, Urias um, sent down to AAA. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Kinsler. He's obviously bad. Um, you're higher on him and defended him on, on Padres Twitter for some reason, he, embarrassingly. He's, a, he's, a, he's but, above replacement level. And, and so I can at least understand. Is he? Hold on. Not this year. Uh, so well, not this it, year What's so it matter far. other than this projectable, year? Projectable. Projectable. What matters is next game, right? Like. You don't play players based on how they did the prior. He's game. not even above average defensively this year. For all the talk of how great he is, it's he way too negative, early. He has negative defensive value. It's so way far. too early to use defensive statistics. They're they're at, those are an aggregate statistic. Yeah, but are general. they po- are they positive or negative so far? It's they're meaningless so far. Is is the point pretty much? Um, I mean, what what would really matter is if you took all the bad at ball data and you said there's a seventy percent chance he grabs this. Did he grab it? I mean, that's. That's really what it comes down to, but a lot of the defensive data also just, just not clear, do that. Just to be clear, he's been worth negative zero point six WAR so far. Yeah, sure, but the question is, what is he going to be worth? He's in the on next pace. Month? That's on pace to be Alexi Ramirez bad. Yeah, I mean, but if we did that, then you know, after game one of the season, someone would be on pace for whatever. You know, if someone homers in game one, they're on pace for one hundred sixty-two homers. Imagine defending. Just imagine small, defending Ian Kinsler. I, I'm not. I'm not saying he's a great player. I'm just saying that I think some of the criticism he gets is completely unfair. It's based on sixty plate appearances. When you know, we don't we don't take that same analysis of how terrible he is offensively and compare it to, I don't know, say Austin Hedges, who's hitting like what two ten in his career on nine hundred plate appearances, is honestly a scrub offensive catcher and. For whatever reason, he's adored by Padres Twitter. He's very, but, attract- uh, he's very not- attractive. His boyish charm is off the charts. Yeah, maybe. But uh, that's also irrelevant to baseball performance. Not irrelevant to my erectile <laughs> performance. <laughs> uh, all right, Uri- Urias. But hey, let's... let's What's... Yeah, let's just cover that real fast. Sure. I, I think it's been covered quite a bit by, by everyone. Mm-hmm. Um are we in, in agreement that we would both prefer him on oh, the major league roster, starting possibly at, starting, let's say, six out of seven games while start, while hitting leadoff? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I actually, I don't even care. I don't even care where in the lineup he hits, but he should be getting those big league looks, right? Because as we've seen, as soon as he hit AAA, where he's already hit well, um, mm-hmm. he's dominating at the AAA level. Yeah. There's nothing for him to learn hitting there. And so, like, let's let's talk behaviorally, right? Yeah. Because 
the the non-educated Padres Twitter belief on it is that well, this giant leg kick he's 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 selling out for power, right? Mm. So like, if you are selling out for power and you go down to AAA, where selling out for power actually leads to a, a positive result, yeah, does that reinforce the behavior or does that discourage you from that behavior? Yeah, I just don't understand what they're attempting to gain by having him down there. Like, obviously, he's going to hit AAA pitching. AAA pitching is terrible. That's not what his struggle has he's been. He's playing at a launching pad. He's playing a launching pad. I mean, just balls. The league OPS right now is like 850 or something. And in, in El Paso, it's like when, 900 and something. Do you remember when Jabari Blash would OPS for like 1,300 <laughs> yeah. at El Paso it's, with non-juiced balls? It's, it's, it's an unbelievable... You can't really take any of those statistics meaningfully, right? I think the only thing I would look at is, like, how does he perform on well-located 95-mile-an-hour fastballs, of which he's going to get, what, like Wait, where do you get those? Game? Do you get those in AAA no, where you Dylan Overton is in a starting rotation, yeah. or do you get that in the major leagues? Yeah, exactly. And, and especially, you know, some of these areas are high-elevation areas, and so the breaking pitches don't break. Like, I just don't get what they're going to try to learn from this. So I think... Do you remember when Cody Decker was Babe Ruth in AAA yeah. in El Paso? <laughs> yeah, I, I just – yeah, I would pre- strongly prefer to see Urias at the major league level starting all the time, um, or at least three out of every four games at the very least. Unfortunately, no, I, I think that's, that's we should reality, be clear. But I, I think, you know – I think we should be clear, though, like with our Andy Green discussion. Mm-hmm. It's not Andy Green that sends people up and down. Like that, that is from the GM level. Yeah. So as, much as, as, as many complaints as I have about Andy Green, I don't blame him for – Urias being in AAA, like I, I don't think that's well. Right. I don't know. I think I think part of the reason he's in AAA is because Andy Green wasn't playing him, and I think Preller saw that. I mean, that's at least what I got from from the blurbs I've read about it's like third level information, right? So this is someone that's not Andy Green probably telling a, Kevin AC, who then says it on a podcast, and I'm reading the summary of the podcast. So there's a little bit of telephone going on here, and I may be misreading this, but. My my understanding is that because Andy Green wasn't playing Urias, he got sent down. So then, I mean, there then you can I guess blame Andy Green, but good, but great, I, great. I, I still Reason think this will, I still good. think this will play itself out. Either Ian Kinsler continues to hit very low two hundreds, of which there is a possibility, pretty strong possibility, and maybe his defense does decline once we get more information on it. And you know, then the then it becomes it should become obvious to the manager that Ian Kinsler is not better currently than than Urias, and then Andy Green will play Jose Perella. What about Greg Garcia? What, hey, what happened to Greg Garcia? There was actually, actually some, you actually, know, to be fair, there was some optimism about Greg Garcia going into this oh, yeah, season. There was a lot the third highest on base. Yeah, there was a lot squad. of um, like like underlying statistics that were in support of Greg Garcia becoming a, a semi valuable bench piece. But w- but what about Ty France? I mean, that's the other elephant in the room here. He got called up. We've been told he's not going to start at second base, but you know, obviously he had launching pad statistics at El Paso. He's had good minor league offensive statistics at every level. We've heard that he's not even an adequate third baseman, so I don't know how that will even translate to second base. But Well, let's ask Will Myers. Is it easy to learn a new major league position <laughs> with no practice and no skill at all with it? I would say no, it's not. Um, but I would, I would be curious to see Is how... it even easy in Little League to just step into a new position, let alone at the highest level of the sport? Well, I, I learned this the hard way. I was always shortstop on all my travel teams. And then one wow, year... what a humble brag, right? Well, there. no, 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 no. And then I got on a was team... Was your dad with, the coach? I was. My dad was never the coach. Okay. No. No, this was an earned an earned position for me. I also caught a little bit, but uh, always shortstop. And then I got a team... You didn't on, pitch? I did pitch occasionally. Oh, so you yeah. pitched and caught. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Pitched mm-hmm. and caught, yep. Okay. 
Yeah, I said that on the podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, just your- yeah. So, so, anyways, then I got on a team with one of my good buddies, who's now one of my best friends. And you know, day one of of uh, practice came, and and the coach was like, "Marber, why don't you go to second? And I was like, "I was like, what the fuck is this bullshit?" And then I saw that kid play shortstop, and I was like, "Yeah, I guess I'm a second baseman from now on." <laughs> and I played a bunch of second and third after that, but uh, and then ended up at third, but. You know, it there it certainly was a a learning curve and an ego curve there for me. So um, it definitely and, is and different. To be it fair, also it's literally like it's kind of hard to turn double plays, right? It's not expected to be yeah. a slam dunk. And like at the major leagues, you got to turn the double play. Every yeah, time. and I would say the main thing there is the angle of the ball is just different between the left side and the right side. Like I'll go play softball even now, and if you put me on the right side of the field, so if you put me in right field or even second base now, I am much more garbage. Then if you put me at third base or left field or center field, where the the ball comes off the bat the same, I'm I'm like definitely an asset defensively at those positions, but I make you know I take the wrong step base on the because I'm used to the ball traveling a certain way, and that's just me. You know that's not someone who's, uh, you know, done it for a lot longer period of time. I'm sure Francis has been playing third base for a lot longer than I ever played, you know, baseball. So, yeah, it's got to be difficult to to move across the diamond. That's also by the way why I. I uh, don't care for Hunter Renfro playing uh, left field. The dude's played right field his whole career, and we've mm-hmm. already seen some plays out there at left field that look suboptimal. So didn't he play left field? I I thought the um. Do you remember the clip from I don't know what level in the minor leagues where where he got a pulled a ball out of the left field corner and then mm-hmm. gunned it in? Like he, that was the introduction to the cannon. That's Hunter Renfro. Like it's not like he only played right field. Sure, sure. I guess like like, like moving Ty France to second base is totally different than Hunter Renfro playing left field. Yeah, perhaps. And Renfro actually did play some center field. I think in the minor leagues too. They they kind of did move him around. But I think at least when he at the major league level he had started as only a right fielder and then then they started to alternate him every other day. There's got to be at least some effect on that, in my opinion. Um, but what does Ty France matter? He's not play, being played anyways. He, he didn't get yeah. played after he got called up. He's not in the lineup today against sure. Washington. He's sure. He is literally being used just as a bench player to fill in right now. I would actually be okay with him starting against left-handed pitching at first base. Of course we all would. But yeah. AC told us today on the podcast <laughs> that, that that's just silly. That That's just fan podcasts uh, talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... Uh, and then, meanwhile, in, in the second, the, the breath after that, you say, uh, "Well, Andy Green's just managing to win games right now, even mm-hmm. though he's not doing the most obvious thing he could do to bolster the middle of his lineup by uh, platooning uh, Eric Hosmer." Yeah, not having a face tough left-handed pitching, putting yeah. Will Myers, platooning him with Will Myers, which even to Will, me would yeah. be the most optimal uh, decision here. Yeah, yeah, fine with that too. Um, all right. Uh, all that said. It's been a pretty good year to watch Padres baseball. Yes. This has been the most fun I've had watching Padres baseball since, certainly since I was in college. And, and just to be safe here, if, if you watched the Padres games last year in April and May, there was also the same underpinning of comments. It was like, uh, well, these games, they're losing, right? But this is really the most entertaining Padres baseball we've seen with all the young guys playing. And then that quickly dissipates. That dissipated by like May or June last year. Yeah, I don't think I felt that way last year, though. What? This was a big undercurrent of feeling last year. It was like I mean, we get to see the young guys. And, I mean, it was like, certainly more exciting than the prior years where they didn't have young guys. But and so I'm a little cautious of that, okay. right? Because, but but this is also different in that they they literally have a winning record. Yeah, and they it's have not, Manny It's Machado. not like they're they're nine and seventeen, but playing 
who did they play last year? Who were the young guys that were playing last year? Christian Villanueva had a bunch of homers earlier. And, in the and year. he was the April, you know, he was the April rookie of the month. month yeah. Right? That was a big deal. Yeah. And uh, you know, Jacob Nix would have a decent start every once in a while. Well, that was pretty rare. Yeah. But I mean I don't know. I <laughs> I, I would say that I was never excited for last year's team. I, I think there were players that I would tune in only for their bats or I'd get you know, watch the condensed game afterwards and skip through only to watch their plate appearances. But this um, is different, to be clear, right? Definitely different. I mean, this team, I think, is actually... You know, for for one thing, there are actual things I can see on the field that they're good at. Last year, if you asked me, hey, what are the Potters good at? I would have said, I guess, very back end of the bullpen. And that would have been the end of the conversation. I think they have the one of the best infield defenses in all of baseball. Obviously, the left side of the infield defense really can't be beaten. Mm-hmm. Machado, Tatis, Kinsler, even Hosmer at first base has looked a little bit better this year. And then Hedges behind the plate. Even Mejia has been okay defensively. I know... He gets a lot of crap on, on Potter's Twitter, but but you know that grouping themselves, I think, has been phenomenal, and that just changes the dynamic of everything. I think. So fill in the blank here. This is the most entertaining Potter's team since blank. Yeah, I um, I would have to say it for me. It's since college for sure, uh, and so I would probably go with the. When was that? When was safety school? That was the <laughs> mid two thousands. No, I I never attended a safety school. I would say it was probably two thousand six, maybe. The year, okay, they, so went the the, the the year play- they went to the playoffs. In, no, what no, about the Matt Holiday? It year? was that Matt Holiday. Two thousand seven. That was two thousand seven. And you're yeah, just and totally then, blowing off twenty ten. Completely blowing off twenty ten. Twenty ten was great. There were there are elements of twenty ten that were great, but I would say that entire season though, I was kept looking at the team and being like, this this does not feel quite so. Yeah, real. but at some point you weren't like, we got a future ace here. We got. Adrian Gonzalez, like we got Scott Hairston. There, yeah, and I would say that those, actually no, those Scott, were cer- Scott Hairston was gone by then. I think. There were certainly levels of excitement that season, right, with Adrian Gonzalez. And you think this has mind. more? This, this has, has more, more than 2010. A 90-win team with with a future ace, ace in quotation marks, like pitching. I, I would say that Matt Latus that year probably was he was as exciting ace. as Paddock is this year. I mean, they're pretty sure. comparable, right? I would say Latus probably had better raw stuff at the time, and maybe was more highly thought of going into the year than Paddock. By national writers, not by Padres Twitter. I think we've been on Paddock. I've been on Paddock since day one, since we acquired him. But uh, the fact that there's a 20-year-old shortstop who's, you know, the f- clear uh, leader at the, you know, what is this, the one-seventh of the season mark, one-eighth of the season mark, for National League Rookie of the Year, looking like a potential starting shortstop in the All-Star game type of player. Mm-hmm. We have not had a young position player this good in a really long time. Since Adrian. Since Adrian. And even Adrian, he wasn't even that young. He was 25 when I think he first was starting. 24, 25 when he first started with the Padres. Because he went through a bunch of orgs before he got here. Well, two. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair to Adrian, he, he had the prospect pedigree. He was literally oh, yeah, he was the, the number one, one overall draft pick in the draft. That's fair, but he wasn't quite this... For one, he first of all, he played first base. And that's... First base is a position where you can almost always find value, right? I mean, we have a guy sitting right now in double-A AA or triple-A... And Josh, Wait, why, and Josh why aren't Naylor. we finding value right now in first base? Uh, I think we do have value in first base. Like I, I think Posmer will provide value. I'm not. I'm not as uh, bearish as a lot of people are on him. Oh, um, because uh, you're trying to justify your uh, a Hosmer signing opinions on how he how valuable he was going to be. No, no, no. It's it's more based on just I just basically a refusal to admit that you were wrong that it was mm, a mistake to sign him. No, I would say it's more based on the fact that he does have a history of of going through spurts of good and bad baseball play. And that he has demonstrated the ability to be a good player over many individual seasons. I mean, he had a season the year before we signed him, obviously, where you know his on-base percentage was, what, like 370, 380? He had 310, was the MVP of the All-Star game. Not that that's like a great thing. It's really just a novelty. But 
But I think there's at hey, least fun, some fun optimism. Hey, fun H.J. fact here. Yeah. You know who another All-Star Game MVP was? Uh, Hank Blaylock. Do you remember yeah. Hank Blaylock? I do remember Hank Blaylock. I struck, Bernardo. I struck out Hank Blaylock. Mm. I struck out an All-Star Game MVP. That's nice. I think I've told the, the podcast before, but uh, I gave up, I believe, a double to Trevor Cahill before. So not, oh, not, nearly as good as, not nearly as good as striking out Hank Blaylock, but I did give up a hit to a major league pitcher. Um, uh, but in any case... Um, just another side fact. I, I, do I think, stuffed I, Hank Blaylock in eighth grade uh, PE basketball. Just wanted to throw that out there oh, as well. Nice. So. nice. That's, that's, that's very... Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're doing this sort of thing, I did kick Sean White out of my prom group. I don't know if that, that counts as anything. Not that, it, not that he was big at the time, but... but Why did you know. kick him out? Uh, it's a long story. We had it to like a twenty-person limo and the red hair. Or was it because of the red no, hair? No, I had nothing to do with his red hair. We didn't even know who he was, to be honest with you. And uh, well, we sort of we sort of knew who he was, but this is before he was like you know Olympic superstar, Olympic superstar. Yeah. We had uh, you know we had a, a limo for prom, and it was kind of disorganized how we were inviting people into it. And then we realized that uh, we needed another two spots for one of our other buddies, and so we looked at like who's the most obvious person to kick out of here. And Sean was going with this other girl who was friends. Of one of our other buddies' dates, and so they're like the the most you know isolated couple, and so we just kicked them out of the group. Um, and then my friend took his girlfriend to prom, so she wow. still went with us, but did not go with Sean, and ended up going with our fr- buddy. It's a funny story in retrospect, uh, and and it's actually you know people are like, oh, you could have been friends with Sean White, he has so much money and stuff. It's like, yeah, my buddy also graduated from Berkeley in a year and a half, and is now like one of the leading lobbyists in D.C. on behalf of aviation companies. So. Hey, weird. So, Our pretty intelligence good. team member Chad um, the Chomner is mm-hmm. still still there. Not yeah, I know. Not graduating. Yeah, I know. I would have been very disappointed if I kicked Sean White out of my prom group for Chad, but not not for my other buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's the greatest. I, I I would say this is more exciting than 2010. Obviously, the team had a lot of uh, you know had a late run in that season to, or they were in first place for most of that season to make a postseason berth. But I don't think the level of excitement for me. You know, part of it is, but this easily think, surpasses the April of 2015, right? Oh, where for the team sure. the team was winning, like they had a winning record. Mm-hmm. They they were ten and five. They went on. A, I think they lost seven out of eight after that. But like they hovered around 500. You know, one one or two games above, one or two games below until about the end of May. I, yeah, I would say that maybe the euphoria of that team felt better because we had just been dragged through the mud for so long. But I would say, like you know, in, when you're thinking about how you actually feel about the team and their prospects of winning. Like I look at this team and I say, all right, well if they if if Gore, yeah, you know, Gore might be our best starting pitcher right so now. So you're throwing your cards in. I, Gore is going to be up here this year to make I think the wild a, card. Push. I think there's a well, I don't know if it's to make a wild card push or because he gets promoted to Double A in the next two weeks and dominates Double A as well. You know, then after that, I think he would get called up. Like I think it's a logical conclusion if he gets promoted to Double A and he looks super good at Double A. There's really no reason to ever have him pitch in El Paso. That's just not. I don't see what benefit you get from having pitchers pitch there unless you want them to simulate like Coors Field or something. So, I, I, I said when we drafted him, I, I you know those type of pitchers that get drafted that early that have those sorts of really you know high impact results early on, they do tend to get promoted really quickly. So I I would not put it past Mackenzie Gore being in the rotation this year, not just for a push. I would actually say there's less reason to call him for a push potentially, but because he just earns it because he's just so good and there's no reason like what what's the purpose if. You know, I guess there's a little bit of arbitration clock, maybe, but we've talked about it before. Pitchers, you know, there's a really high chance that even the best pitchers, Mackenzie Gore, won't make it to year seven of his major league 
career without having a, some sort of debilitating arm injury. That's yeah. just a fact. And we're learning how it works. in the last week. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, Adrian Morahone Espinosa is up. dead. Uh, Morahone, yeah. who they shockingly decided not to do an MRI on again, um, is out, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. We learned it last words of Nelson Lamette. You know, yeah. it's like... You don't want to leave bullets in the gun. No, and so if he has another 30 to 50 innings left in his arm based on his pitch, uh, innings limit this year... And he's dominating double-A pitching. I don't see a reason that he wouldn't be at the major league level. Like, I would be pretty surprised. I, I think Paddock's probably better than him right now, but I would not be surprised if he was the best starting pitcher on the roster right now. Certainly he's better than Lauer, I, I think. I mean, I'm still very bearish on Lauer. Margavich is. So, Margavich is, you know, his his command's been pretty good this year, with the exception of his last start when he walked a number of guys. The strike zone was terrible that day. I don't and also take away what he's catcher. doing, right? I mean, yeah. he's a low-velocity command guy. Yeah, how many of those guys have we had through the years that have had you know brief periods of success? Like Matt Castle's brother Jack mm-hmm. put put together a few good games with the Padres. Same deal, low velocity, good command. Sure, but I don't think he started his career with like you know a nineteen to two strikeout to walk ratio, which is what Margavich sure. was working on before yeah. last game, right? So I, but, I think but, there's, but a, there's to me to you though. Doesn't he seem like a guy where the tape is going to catch up to him? He's, where I, I, yes, like yes. you can't throw eighty eight and, and and expect to succeed long term. Obviously, there are outliers to that, mm-hmm. but but I do think you know he's the type of guy where you know next year when they have the three pitch, uh, the three batter minimum for every pitcher, he's going to be a weapon out of the pen, right? Like the fact that he can come in and you know he's not going to walk too many guys, and he's going to be able to throw multiple innings. Like those are the type of guys that are going to have increased value in future years, and I think he's proven himself so far. Obviously, he might get lit up his next start, but. You know, at least at this point, he's been you know fairly serviceable, and he's fine. He's yeah. fine, right? But he's certainly replaceable. But the the hope in the future, like if the team's actually going to be a World Series contender, isn't that Nick Margavichis is going to be in the the rotation? And right? if he is, the he's, whole he's plan, the number five, right? The whole plan is that there's a ton of guys that are better mm-hmm. than he would be. I mean, mm-hmm. even in AAA, like the hope was that Logan Allen and Kyle Quantrill would be better and would be taking that yeah. spot. Unfortunately, we haven't really seen that. Yeah, actually, result. I would say Quantrill's been a, a bit better this year. I know his ERA isn't great in, in AAA, yeah, but his walk... right. He has been strike out to terrible. Walk. Yeah, he's... his strikeout to walk ratio has actually been pretty pretty okay. I wouldn't be surprised to see him come up and, and do something in the Major League Well, level. they're going to call him up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're going to call him up no matter what. Yeah. Same with Allen. Like, Allen's been dreadful. Yeah. They'll call him up anyways. I mean, yeah. what are they going to do? Call up Dylan. O- I mean, at some well, point, gonna, someone's going to get hurt or someone's going to need rest. And what are they going to do? Call Dylan Overton up? No, They're I mean, they gonna... look at they look at the forty. They look at the forty man, right? You got and that's Pedro why Avila. Avila. That is why Avila didn't get called up because he's the best option. He got called up because he was on the forty man exactly. already. And same with uh, who's the other guy that spot started for this this year? Oh no, he didn't spot start. He got called up as a bullpen arm, and then got set down almost immediately because he was on the forty man. Because he was on the forty I mean, yeah. man, right? So I think that's. That's part of the nexus there as well. Granted, they do have guys on the 40-man they can get rid of. Like, say, for example, Jose Perella. Uh, <laughs> God, you hate Jose Perella. It's, you know, it's just like, you know, sometimes you... Uh, so for some reason, you love Ian Kinsler because he could be a nice bench defense guy. And you hate Jose Perella, who, if not starting and taking 500 at-bats, would be fine. No, Jose Perella is replacement level, and Ian Kinsler is above replacement level. He's Ian Kinsler also less, has he's actually negative point six but. this this season, but projectable. Jose Perella is a nothing, and Ian Kinsler is not a nothing. Hmm. And also, there's a long. Do you track mean people perform Kinsler. worse when they're thirty five last year and they're thirty six this year? Is that is that not statistically supportable? That, is statistically that you are supportable. much worse as you are in your late thirties. That is statistically supportable. As is you know, it's also statistically uh, supportable that if your name is Jose Perella, you're not good at baseball. 
There is a, you know, 100% of Jose Perales at the major league level have not been good at baseball. Well, so. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's hard to quantify heart and hustle in your war. That's It's probably, one of the big flaws of war. That's it probably true. It doesn't but take into account heart and hustle. That's probably true, but uh, I think Ian Kinsler would even take the cake there. His grittiness and his old school style of play and not not being okay with the youngsters. Which, yeah. by the way, is a I'm bit overrated because he seems to be getting along... Just fine with, with all the guys. I mostly like how he doesn't like Latino players. That's my favorite part of Ian Kinsler. I think, you know, I think that was just like one quote. Because I, I don't know. I, I feel like he actually does have some camaraderie with him. I mean, really? I he has handshakes with him. You know, it's not like he's at second base not doing the cane chop down. Look, you know? you've been on teams before. Like, mm-hmm. even... Even the worst loser on your team, like you give some, you give hand, you give handshakes and high fives too. Like, no, no, nobody on your team, like in my whole career in sports, like youth sports, even the kids I hated, you'd still give them high fives when they hit a single or or whatever. Like, mm, I don't like, know. I, that... I don't really think that's a measure for for whether a guy's a good clubhouse fit or not. That's true, and it's also not true. I was I was once on this team with uh, this coach was just the worst, like absolute worst, and his kid was uh, mediocre on his best days, and his kid would always hit lead off and play the important positions. And at the end of the year, when we realized you know our team wasn't going to do shit in the playoffs, and actually we actually surprisingly I think won a couple games in the playoffs that year. Uh, we <laughs> nice tumble, last, bra- tumble brag number two for it was a it was so. a it was a big surprise. I think we just got lucky, but uh, we and this was rec ball a long time ago. A couple of us on the team wrote Ryan sucks on our hat. And then Ryan was like, like, we took Sharpie and then on the bill of our hat wrote like Ryan sucks and we all wore our hats like this, like facing up <laughs> for a game. Uh, so I don't know if that's the best, ex- you know, the best argument you to still make give to me. It, if that kid hit a home run, you'd still give him a high five. I don't know, man. We really did not like or, that Or kid. would you do the thing where you put your hand out and he, and he tries to give you five and then you and pull it pull back pull and it rub back, it through your hair? hair? Yeah. I don't know if I was ever on on that disc. While his parents are watching and his dad's <laughs> yeah. the coach. Like, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have done that. You know, the funny part is that there are uh, four of us actually that did a second, that did that, that game. Um, and two of us got kicked off the team for doing it instantly. Like, we got like got to the game. Ryan saw all of our hats. And the coach came over and kicked out two of us on the team, like, that right then and there. But he did not kick off me and kick out me and this other kid who were probably our top two players. <laughs> I think the coach still wanted to win so bad that even though we had written in clear Sharpie on our hats that his son sucked, uh, he still let us play. But um, that's humble, humble brag number three right there. So before we move on to yeah. uh, you know the changing media landscape, mm-hmm. um, the Padres are about to go on. You know, A lot of the talk, I think we discussed it, was the start of the season was very easy schedule-wise, and then they were going to really hit the wall quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of right now. Their next 20 games are, are, are I guess, counting the Mariners, who they swept, um, the next 20 games are, are semi-brutal. Um, they're playing the Nationals. They're playing a lot of difficult teams coming up. W- let's go predictions. How are they going to go during, over this? T- so so they've already won two. So yeah. technically they're 2-0 and on yeah. this 20-game stretch. Yeah. What are you going with for the next 20 games? I mean, I'm still – and I'll make a prediction, but I'm still not – just, just to I'm be not clear, paying here. close attention. They're playing the Dodgers. They're playing Atlanta at mm-hmm. Atlanta. They're playing the Mets, mm-hmm. and then they play at Colorado before another two game series against the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean that's a long stretch against what should be good baseball teams in the NL this year. But again, I just want to emphasize that I'm not, I'm not marrying myself to the wins and losses. I'm still paying much more attention to how does Paddock look, how does Tatis look. I mean, those are to me the most important things. I I had Urias in that bin, and I would even throw Mejia in there also. Like that's to me. What's much more important for my ultimate goal, which is watching the Padres win a World Series title. So, 
you know, whether they go eight and twelve or or twelve and eight, it won't matter so long as you know what, what I care about much more the, is that performance. Now, what's my prediction on that? I think they're maybe go you know ten and ten, nine and eleven. I think they're they will play under five hundred baseball or five hundred baseball against those opponents. Some of it lines up terribly. Like I said, so, Scherzer and Strasburg to start this national series mm-hmm. without Paddock going against either one of them. I mean, those are games where in Vegas, or at least by Fangraphs expected win percentage, the Padres are probably a pretty heavy underdog, you know, 75% underdog potentially. I'll actually pull it up on Fangraphs right now for today's game. And so, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm not... I think if they come back, they're going to come I, out. I think of the, at the end, they're going to come out of the twenty with a winning record, right? They're they're already three games. Above that's the hope. By the way, yeah, today sixty eight percent chance the Padres lose to Max Scherzer. Yeah. They have Matt Strom going, so you know, I, I when you look at that, and you know, tomorrow will be will be Strasburg, and it's not going to get any better for the Padres offensively. Yeah. yeah, you know, they're they're heavy dogs in these games, but some of them they'll be favorites for sure. I mean, they're going to have a couple of those games will be home games against the Dodgers. They're not going to be complete underdogs in those, and so. Um, you know, and I'm well, not sold. I'm not. They probably will. They'll it depends on pitching. Ma- it depends on pitching matchup. I think when Paddock p- pitches, they'll be favorite. Um, but you know, the Mets. You know, Degrom's having problems right now. I'm not scared of the Mets. Like that's the one where I'm like least worried. And then when they go to Coors Field, uh, I'm very excited to watch this team offensively play at Coors Field. I feel For like sure. I feel like it's going to be uh, a bonanza of runs scored. Even though I know we play poorly against the the Rockies at home, I, I just feel like Coors Field is just another another animal. Although. The Padres' outfield defense probably won't help things in that series very much. Negative. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. The Padres aren't even in second place right now, right? The Diamondbacks overtook right, they're them. they're in third. They're in third. So, 14-11. If they come home from this trip and they're still above 500, I would consider that. Or this series of long games. If they end that, still a game over 500 or two, I would consider that a success. But it really, to me, it comes much more down to Tatis and Paddock. How about you? Uh, I'm kind of with you. I think they're going to pull uh, ten and ten or nine and eleven out of the out of this next twenty, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they'll finish this twenty game stretch above five hundred, which is a huge deal because we're talking about being in the middle of May with a winning record, which is mm-hmm. uncalled, just unseen here. Yeah. <laughs> like it, like th- this is why it is to me the best season since twenty ten. For you, the best season since two thousand seven. So yeah, um, there's been major changes in the media landscape. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit. We've yeah. been very vocal on the firing of Dan Cilio, yep. uh, among other things, radio, um, yep. all of that stuff. Do you see, is it because of the podcast? Did we kill radio? Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say we killed radio. I mean, that's like saying, you know, well, you know, things improve over time. And I think one of the things that's improving the most in the world is just internet access and everyone has access to the whole world at their fingertips and that that makes it very easy for you and I or, or anyone else for that matter to produce content and put it out there and obviously when you have alternate places to get content it means the original place you're getting content from if you were getting content is going to have less traffic to it right and so I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily to blame for 1090 I would say you know there's an overarching move towards it in general either e- even music radio right we have now XM and all these other, you know, Pandora, pay, Pandora yeah. all these other Spotify and all these other ways of, of getting things. You know, the 1090 one's interesting because, you know, they essentially died because their business model was bad, mm-hmm. right? They had BCA is not one of these large intercoms sort of companies with a hundred, yeah, yeah, with a hundred networks. 
nationwide. They had a couple of networks. Was it three or four? Three. And the, two the, of them went out of business. And at that point, like... And then you have your entire corporate <laughs> overhead being on one network. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just a... It's just a business structure that won't work, especially with... High you know, salaries also. Like, yeah. they've got stars there yeah. that make a lot of money. Yeah. So, I would say, you know, there's... Um, I would say it's, it was not completely unexpected to me. Um, but, I, I, but I will say I'm also very sad. Uh, it, it so, so both of us sad. have lived on the East Coast, right? Yeah. One of my connections for 13 years was being able to listen to my – the stream for Mighty 1090 is not new. Mm-hmm. Like I would listen to Mighty 1090 at my desk like yeah. for my first day of work out of college. Like yeah. that was my one connection. And being on the East Coast, it actually – like the times work out really well because right at about 9 o'clock mid-morning is when Scott and BR would start okay. back then or whoever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of my life for sure. Like, I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go to sleep. This is back when it was 690, you know. Jim Rome? Yeah. Well, no, I'd go to sleep. At, at that time, it was, um, oh, man, who was the night one? Uh, he did. He talked sports, but a lot of it was just, like, ordinary life stuff, too. Um, and I can't remember who it was. But they had – a bunch of people had that shift over time. Ben Maller, maybe not the the best example. But, you know, when I was, like, 10 and 11, I'd be falling asleep with the boombox on, but it was on the radio. And I'd listen to sports radio the entire time I slept. And it was 690, you know, and then 1090. Um, and then in college, you know, you could stay, you know, Santa Barbara's pretty far away, but the 1090 airwaves were crystal clear in Santa Barbara. Um, and I would follow the team. And like I said, when I would make alcohol runs for my dorm, I'd drive my buddy with a fake ID, the, the you know, Rite Aid or whatever, I would make him listen to 1090 in the Potters game with me. It was like my way of, inf- you know, inflicting Padres on everyone and, and yeah. my fandom and everyone. So a bit of me is sad, you know. I'm having a kid now, and he's not going to grow up with the same sort of things I had, and it's just kind of something that's going to going to die. But yeah, it's also a bummer because they were the best sports radio Easily we had in San Diego. Best, like yes. it, like the other options, not even the best, the only tolerable. Yeah, option. I mean, I, I actually don't think uh, Crisello and, and Tony Gwynn are that terrible. He's terrible. Some people don't like Chris them Ello for sure. Is terrible. Some people don't like them for sure. I get it. I I. Uh, they at least talk a lot of sports, and they, they stick mostly to baseball, which I'm, I'm okay with. Um, but you, you know, listen we're to left- Chris Ello talk. I mean, this is part of my point: is that like 1090? Like, I feel like almost everyone liked 1090, and the other options are. I think they're under. You know, they're not that bad, right? That's like here's the, that's the best of the, the other ones I can. 1090. That shows on like for all of my uh, chest puffing about old media versus new media. Mm-hmm. 1090 put out a better product. Like the quality of the shows on 1090 are generally better than what we're doing on podcasts. Oh, for right? sure. And they had but I can mere guests lined up every single right. day on the relevant things that were happening in sports. Right. Well, I think I can confident. I think I confidently will say that the quality of the podcast right now mm-hmm. are better than anything 1360 and 97.3 have to offer. Yeah. Well, 1360 is fucking garbage. Complete garbage. Like um, I, I know I get it gets under Woods's. Uh, skin when mm-hmm. when we push the old media new media thing mm-hmm. but you know I'll, I'll give it to, I'll tip my hat Ben and Woods put out a better show better entertainment better quality than mm-hmm. than we put out yeah I mean part of that should be expected right it's their job it, they're this professionals is, they're this is us sitting in my this is the whole room. thing with AC right yeah the bloggers shouldn't be better than AC because he's literally a professional but yeah. but they are yeah like that's what's embarrassing um, and the thing with 97.3 and 1360 is they are professionals and mm-hmm. they're not putting out as good of a product as, as new media and, is right but, now. But, I mean, and the thing is, this isn't even like something that's only happening in, in journalism, broadly speaking, right? Media, broadly speaking. This is something that's happening in like everything just because the internet exists, right? And I'll give you an example, just a video game creation. 
right? The best video games are that are created right now, in my opinion, are ones that are created by like fans who just pick up the ability to code and do it for themselves and not for a video game company. Right. The ones that are put out by EA Sports every year now are fucking garbage. And so it's like it's not even something. It's it's just open. The world is almost open source now, and that affects everything. And so there are industries that were built on having a virtual monopoly on the content that don't have it anymore. And so this is a logical extension of what's going to happen, right? And so, but there were other changes, by the way, too. It wasn't just 1090. We had um, some pretty large changes on what I would say was uh, one of the the biggest areas of getting your Padres news online, news online for quite a while. I would say this was, uh, which is Gaslamp Ball, had a complete change in, in who's running them. Um, there's been some drama on Padres Twitter about it. You're banned, right? Oh, I'm, I'm ser- I've been ban- like I have like three accounts. How many? Yeah, you've had three usernames think, banned. I think three there? usernames. Two. Well, I definitely had three usernames. No, no, no. I think they're all banned. I think all three are banned. Um, but you know, I I look at it as you know, Gaslamp Ball in its heyday provided something that was above user forums before Twitter. Right? We had we had the San Diego forums where you it's just a basic forum. You can mm-hmm. make a thread. And people could write in the thread. It's a very esoteric way of conversing that was objectively terrible in retrospect, but at the time was great. And then we had Gaslamp Ball, which was like a kind of like a newspaper with a comment section that was dynamic, and you know you could do but, fun things in that. And their game logs, like their game re- their game posts, mm-hmm. right? They were mm-hmm. essentially Twitter mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, it was. Especially they got rid of it. SB Nation had an app where it was easy to pull up it, pull mm-hmm. it up, and comment and, mm-hmm. and have it streaming on your phone. It was essentially it was Twitter before Twitter. It was Twitter before Twitter. It fulfilled this need between forums and Twitter when Twitter didn't exist, right? And so. And some yeah, of us chose to participate responsibly and to be good members of the community, well, while hey, others I, of us chose no, 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 to I, I was ruin a, the community with, <laughs> with, with trollish comments while I, people were trying to enjoy the game. Un, untrue, untrue. I would say uh, I was a very responsible member for multiple years, and then when it became obvious that Jeff Morad and Tom Garfinkel were terrible for the team, which they were, uh, the, the people who worked there... Garf who, was fine. No, Garf was not fine. I mean, you just have to look at the Miami Dolphins to understand that the Garver is not fine. Very manipulative. He was fine for the bottom line profits for the owners. Probably very good for that, but very bad for quality baseball. Um, but then it turned out, you know, the uh, you know, we don't need to get into all the drama here. But but Garver's more or less uh, quote in bed with the uh, people who are running Gaslight Ball. So there, I, and it's easy for me to say there is some Schadenfreude in, in them finally losing Gaslight Ball. But it, it I. I kind of feel bad about that because it's the, – the thing is they knew what they got, got into when they signed up with SB Nation, right? They didn't have to become an SB Nation satellite company. Obviously, they would have never they would have never had the comment section and all the things that made them objectively great. But at the same time, you know, you sign away your ability to do what you want with the blog if you join these companies. And and to be fair, Gaslamp Ball did not have good traffic to it. That's not to say, not to say they didn't have good writers, but but, you know, at some level you have to – be keeping up with the statistics. And so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that this has happened to it. It's certainly a bummer for the people that work there Ugh, um, that were in charge. Joe's on the podcast. No, I mean, it's, cer- it's certainly a bummer, but I think even I think even she would would admit that there are a level, you know, there is a, a minimum level of content that needs to get created and a minimal number of people that need to see it. And for whatever reason, not saying she was bad at it, they, were, they didn't have that. I don't know if they'll ever get to that level. Well, I'm going to say this. 
I don't. I, don't, I, I saw after the the changeover happened, a lot mm-hmm. of people. There, there were some some trollish comments on Twitter where it was yeah. like, "Well, what'd you expect? Like, you guys have the worst traffic in, in baseball or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you and the Marlins SB Nation side have terrible traffic." Yeah. To their defense, like the Padres have given them very little. To oh, work of course, with over of the course. years, like until yeah. the last three months. What were you supposed to do? Like, like we've run into it. Like, we've mm-hmm. written a lot less than we used to because the team is uninspiring. Yeah. And at the same time, like, a lot of the focus for new media is coming off of writing and onto things like this, a podcast or a Periscope or, you know. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's my point. I'm not saying that, that the change is going to succeed. And, and, you know, I wrote for John Gennaro. I don't think he's a bad hire. Like, I think of anyone you're going to put in that situation, he's, he's fine for it. Uh, I Did just you think ask that, them to unblock your accounts. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to be a participant there. I just don't have the time for that. Like I don't even participate on the other ones that I used to What's, follow. And you don't talk with Henry Silvestre on on, <laughs> Silvestre. on San Diego. I do not. I do not. Oh man, he needs to get a Twitter. Uh, but like, I, I just think the 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 usefulness of Espionation has kind of faded because, like I said, Twitter now com- has come in and taken away what to me was one of their biggest. Pros, which and is probably like, drivers of traffic, huge like the driver number of, traffic, of page I'm impressions sure. that they got off of the, like they, they would run thousands of comments for, mm-hmm. for just a normal Tuesday game. Yeah, yeah, and so you know that's not coming back, right? Like Twitter's here to stay. If Twitter goes away, it'll be to a competitor that does Twitter, but even better. So like I don't think we'll ever get back to that level of heyday. But it was interesting to see more or less both of those quote die at the same time, or at least you know it, it, maybe it's a new gas ball, But what was their community? Is essentially dead in, in Gasland Ball. It's now become and now a, splintered. They're it's now Breakfast, breakfast Town, town. SD. Yeah. So it you know it's been an interesting time in in Potter's media for sure. Um, hey, but we're going to keep yeah. up with it, right? Are we? As you noted, uh, I heard you on the Kept Faith this yeah. week. Uh, Kept Faith is the longest continuing. Not continuing. They are the oldest podcast. Yes, right. But yeah. they took a long hiatus. Are yeah. are we currently the longest continuing? Podcast. Yeah, I think we are. Uninterrupted. Padres, I think Padres podcast. I think we are. Yeah. Um, Depending I, I on how the, you feel about Padres and Pints, whether they are an active podcast or not. They're not I an active podcast. Ouch. Yeah. Well, I mean, when was our last podcast? They did a few last last year. There was a there was there, there last was, year. That's yeah. Have they done one since <laughs> I got Manny Machado? I mean, no. that to me is yeah. So then they're dead. They did have a great resurrection with avenging Jack Murphy on there for a few episodes. I yeah I and. Whenever Potters and Pines come out, I do do listen watch it or listen to yeah. it. Yeah, whichever one, whichever form they go. With I miss it. I wish they would come back. Um, but yeah, no, I have no interest in stopping this. Like I said, it's incredibly easy to do this. Like I, my setup right now, by the way, is one Snowball Blue mic into a Microsoft Surface um, laptop, and we're just sitting here. And I'm gonna, you know, press stop and then upload this. It's gonna take 20 minutes to produce. You know, it's. It's incredibly easy to do it now, so I don't think this form of – I think it's, you know, you know, you look at Periscopes now, it's even easier to do some more exotic things that in the past would have taken – you would have had to set up your video camera, you yeah. know, and then edited it down, and now you can just get live and, and, and do that. So I, I don't know. I think – I don't think it's going anywhere. Hey, for I'm those that anywhere. watched your Periscope, I'm yeah. pleased to report that Marver is wearing a deep V-neck yep. right now. Yeah, um, I am. He's not refusing to wear a normal shirt. He's in an undershirt at all times. Yeah, I went on a hike just before you came here. So, yeah. yeah. I, the sweat stains give that away. Yeah. All, <laughs> also, I work from home. And when you work from home and have no reason to uh, get all dressed up – actually, I did get dressed up this morning because I had a six, 6 o'clock virtual meeting where I had to get dressed up for it. 
But with that exception, if you don't actually have to meet people on a daily basis, it's very easy to just, you know, wake up in the morning, put on some pajamas or sweatpants or whatever and a plain white tee, backwards hat, some socks and just sit there all day in that. Which I'm sure my wife is very happy about. Wait, wait. This combo, you put socks on? Oh, of course socks. I'm a socks person. Um, Comfortable socks. I mean, these are like, you know, these are like the... Ugh, the nice. They're not like my standard white tube top, tube socks or anything like that. Not leisure fire style. Not leisure leisure fire style. These are like you know, that we mentioned. Today. Yeah, these are a couple bucks a sock. You know, um, I'm, I'm splurging on my socks. That's another humble brag yeah. right there. Uh, last thing, uh, I assume you've been listening to the uh, the five point five podcast lately uh, with their new Padres Twitter call in segment. Mm-hmm. Does it infuriate you that you tried to uh, build that segment years ago with a say? I think we still have links whenever we post it on. Because yeah, we've been too lazy your, to get rid of it. With your say quick uh, uh, call in method, d- does it kill you that they have perfected that bit when, no. when you came up with the idea years ago? No, I think it's it's great that it actually works. I mean, we were, I was just really lazy with telling everyone to do it you know and now i wish we could do it but i feel like we would be accused of copying their successful formula because i would love to have that that segment on here would you really though i love it okay what do i love more than bits and the only thing people are calling (laughs) with is bits (laughs) well that's the thing actually uh you never actually went on to the like it wasn't your sacred account so you couldn't go in there and listen to did you bury bits Oh, man, we got a whole bunch of bits. It's not like we had no people calling in and saying shit. It's that everyone who called in and said shit was, for all intents and purposes, fucking around. Why didn't you play these? Well, because it wasn't conducive to talking about baseball. no ear for what's entertaining for the listener? Uh, I mean, maybe maybe a more discerning ear. Maybe a more mature ear. (laughs) Have you met our listeners? They're not looking for a mature ear. I mean, not all bits are good. You know, your ugly Joe... Bit. That's I a great say, bit. No, I would say that's a, a very, very poor bit. It's at least above average. It's, no, no, that's like a that's a Jose Perella level bit. What? It has a lot of heart and hustle. Is that what you're saying? Certainly, you've been trying very hard to make it a bit. <laughs> I give you credit for that. That's why maybe it's a very good. What about my short circuit bit? Was that a good bit? Which one's the short circuit? Uh, bit? It was when the Trevor Hoffman sign bit was going around and then I just posted like 11 different short circuit Johnny Five. Oh no that was terrible as was well it was a great bit no it was not a great bit what, is, what are actually some of the great bits right now uh, well Kevin Acey's dong that's been oh, a, that's, that's been yeah, a great great just never ending bit yeah um, very very large large uh, bit James Clark calling all of us ignorant fans. That was a good bit that was was going around. Um, You know, there's good bits that pop up every once in a while. Sometimes they come up organically, and sometimes they come up out of someone's mind, like the Johnny Five bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, hey, we've we've said a lot. We have, we have. Um, But just to close it up, uh, you're expecting... I imagine we'll, we might not podcast until after this long road trip. But so you're expecting? Why? Are we not podcasting next week? We can podcast next week. Let's podcast next week. Yeah, let's do it. I'm sure once the baby, we should podcast as much as we can until the baby gets here. Because then I'm going to be. You can still podcast. much less likely. Yeah, but it's much less likely. Why? Because I will be well. From everything I've heard, well, I will what be do you tired. Think, what do you think you're doing with the baby all the time? It just sits there like a lump. You put it in a in a mama roo, and then it shakes the baby around, and, and that's it. Rocks yeah. the baby. Yeah, maybe. Put some music on, some uh, some music. We'll, we'll see. Uh, also, my wife will be here. I'm sure I'll have more things I'm preoccupied with. I have an extremely long honey-do list right now that I just haven't been able to get to. Well, maybe it's time for it's you for, to for, tell I mean, there's no buffet table right here. There should be. Holy right? Christ. I have to purchase one of those. You know, Maybe these, it's time for you to tell these the hen things who the you have rooster to do. is, Marver. Yeah. 
but yeah, so you're expecting a, a pretty decent road trip then, or at least a near 500. I'm not even going to say it's going to be winning, but I think they'll come out of it still with a over 500. So, so then what you're saying is you think the Padres aren't over 500 level team. We t- Actually, let's touch on this really quick. I know we've run over here, but before the year started, I said 83 wins. I'm going to stick with it because I think a lot of these things are... I think the use of the starting rotation is unsustainable. Okay. The bullpen is, like I predicted, proving to be worse than last year. I mean, it was yeah. going to be difficult to be historically good like last year, and the bullpen is worse. Yeah. I would also argue that if their team's not really in contention, that they should... This is probably opening up a, a long discussion, but I think it should be in consideration to trade Kirby Yates also at some point. So, okay. Um, maybe we can talk about that next episode. Sure. But he's he's on an, uh, just an incredible pace mm-hmm. so far. Mm-hmm. He's got one year under contract, one year under contract after the season, and, and he's kind of the typical candidate for who you would want to trade. Yeah, but I would just say then you would have to replace. Off. Yeah, but then you'd have to replace him, and you know, having and a guy so, like, one- depending on how Winchester and Stock and, yeah. and Stammen do. I mean, Stammen's another guy that you probably want to think about trading if he keeps pitching well. But yeah, I, I think Stammen so. So I think there's a lot of factors that could lead to the team declining in performance towards the end of the season. So I'm going to stick with my original performance, which of course is a um, a Menzi beating. Um, I think it was seventy. What did I predict? Seventy nine wins. I think. 78 wins, maybe, something like that. Maybe, Whatever maybe it was, 80, it was enough for yeah. me to win a keg from Cavs for days. Yeah. So. Well, I'm going 83, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was more or less, to be honest. Like, I think somewhere wow, in that's the... That's really going out on Well, I think, I think they have the potential to be a 90-win team. I think they do. But I wouldn't be surprised if they only won 78, you know. But, okay. Anyways, until next time, go Padres. Go Padres. Let's go Padres!